What's going on, everyone? My name is Everett Lorman. Welcome to the Volleyball Source Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 1st. It's uh, a brand new month, and we have a very special guest here. He is the head coach of the Alberta Golden Bears men's volleyball team. I will never mess up that name ever. Um, he is also an assistant coach of the youth national team program, a former national team stud himself, former professional volleyball player. The list goes on and on. Mr. Brock Daviduk. Brock, welcome to the show. Thanks, Everett. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's, you know what? I was, I was just kind of going through some things and, and some old pictures, uh, and through your old volleyball profile. You know what I miss is your long hair. Have you, have you ever thought about bringing that back? Yeah, I miss it too. I'm. Uh, I feel that that's how I feel is is a long hair guy. But I'm. Uh, I think I'm living on borrowed time with what I got going on here. Like baldness runs in my family. I'm not sure why I still have hair. Uh, so when it is longer, that added weight, you know, exposes that a lot more. So being six four, call myself six four though. I'm probably six three. I get away with hiding that up here, except around the volleyball players because then they can see it. Fair enough. I definitely, I definitely miss the, the the long hair. There was nothing like you going for the jump set with the long hair flowing behind you. You know, dishing that butter. The, the, those were some good times. How how you are you? Well, I like what you got, dude. It's 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 long. Uh, I've had it like trimmed once since the beginning of quarantine. Um, but my my girlfriend likes the long hair, and I'm I'm like you. You know, baldness runs in my family. Um, because it's like, it's usually your mom's dad. That's how you're supposed to, to, to figure it out. Um, and so he was bald when my grandfather was bald when he was like 25. So I'm, I feel like I'm the same as you kind of running on board time. So I'm just kind of running with it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's not that bad. It's, it's, it's feeling good. That's good. Ah, thank like you. It. Now, how, first of all, how, how are you doing? Um, obviously this past year was a bit of a different year, but, uh, how are you overall? I'm doing great. Uh, I don't think I have a lot to complain about because I think I'm very, very lucky um, for a lot of reasons. But the main ones, uh, my family, like both my, uh, well, the biggest thing is our health, my family's health. Um, and then both my wife and I didn't get uh, furloughed or let go. We were very fortunate to be employed by um, incredible organizations. Um, and because of the pandemic and when we chose to keep our, uh, now three-year-old, she was two most of the pandemic. We kept her home at certain times and had to keep her home at other times uh, rather than send her to daycare. I got to spend a lot more time with my daughter than maybe in a normal year where I'm away evenings and weekends more where that didn't happen this year. And then um, I, uh, it's weird to say, but I, I'm really proud of our season with Golden Bears. And I mean, I had a blast. I, I if I, if we didn't have the season, if, for me personally, if I couldn't go to the gym, it would have been a lot more boring, a lot harder uh, mentally. But the group of guys we had this year and how committed they were to everything, uh, it was it was a big success of a season, I think. And there was a lot of times where we couldn't train, but I uh, it was really inspiring and motivating. I'm really lucky to have that to have, to to have part of my life every day. So I'm doing well. How are you doing, Everett? I'm I'm everything. I, I'm doing I'm pretty well as well. Uh, my girlfriend and I just finished moving to a, a new place, um, so that's why you might see some boxes and stuff behind me because I still haven't 
haven't set things up, but we're no longer in a one bedroom shoebox, uh, which is which is very nice. Um, we've 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 got some more space, and our second bedroom is now our. It's our de facto office, but like we we both know that it's it's essentially my office because my girlfriend is a dancer, so she, uh, you know, when when she's on tour and stuff like that, she doesn't uh, she doesn't she doesn't really need an office all that much. So yeah, no, th- things are pretty good. Things are about to open up here in in Toronto. Uh, I'm I'm hoping, and uh, I mean, there's been what seven straight days, eight straight days now of Canadian volleyball to watch. Um, including all of the beach stuff going on. There's sitting team going on. So there's a lot, a lot of things going on right now, and, and I'm hyped about it. Our women's team just picked up their first win at VNL against China, beating the number two team in the world, which is a, which is a massive success for them. So, yeah, abs- absolutely, doing, doing pretty well. I'm pretty stoked that uh, I get the chance to talk to you now. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Yeah, well, let's, let's kind of like jump, jump into it. Um, you mentioned let's just let's just start with the Golden Bears because you just talked about that. Um, it seems like everyone I talked to, and obviously this this question this the answer to this question I feel like would have been different kind of at the beginning of the pandemic. But it it seems like everyone I've talked to in the volleyball world has been very almost thankful for that time off because it's 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 less of a grind and you get to see life at a at a different pace. Why was this year like? Why why do you deem this year such a success as you just said? Well, I think like when you say people are thankful, I think I think that's a perspective thing. I think uh, like when I say that, I'm thankful for because it would, I'd rather be that way than be bitter the whole the whole season. I, I would have rather have been playing and competing, but that wasn't uh, an option. But the the reason why it was so good was um, I think we. I guess to start with some of the tangibles and the objectives, I think we saw a lot of improvement um, from, you know, young guys, you expect to see a really steep learning curve and then you try to help them with that. Cause sometimes they can fall off that, that curve. Um, but our young guys uh, had a really incredible um, first year. And it's, you know, we had, especially like Isaac Hesslinger, who was just selected to the junior team, you know, he, he was competing for top outside in our gym some days. Um, which he's just one example. We had some other young guys, um, other big name guys like uh, Liam Espedito or Bryce Newells or, or guys like that, that we expected to be big in our first year. And then other guys that were um, maybe less known or guys that came for a tryout that had great, great seasons to our, you know, franchise type players like our um, Max Elgert, who had an incredible year uh, in his improvement. He came back in just incredible physical form over the summer, over a pandemic summer, he walked in the gym and, Terry Danok and I are like, whoa, what was this kid doing all summer? Um, and, and he just was, got named to the next gen team as well. So obviously yeah. all of that hard work paid off. Yeah, it did. And I, I think that's, you know, Max has been like that since he was a young man, um, just putting in that kind of, that kind of grind. And I, I, I really could go through a lot of our guys um, for things they've done. And that's, that's just volleyball. There's academic guys like we had Graydon Weeb. Uh, who sat at a 3.9 all year in terms of his GPA. And that's taking like uh, a f- more than full course load academically. So he was taking six courses a term and ended up with a 3.9 out of four both terms. Uh, we had Cam Kern, who I think really rocked the whole uh, mental health Instagram thing with his check-in challenge, created this idea, uh, which was a, <laughs> the, the impetus of it. Maybe Cam had this idea of brewing before, but the impetus of it was Terry Daniluk uh, asking if guys wanted to do some sort of dance on TikTok. 
and then threw it out to the athletes. And then Cam turned that into uh, a mental health initiative, which became a check-in challenge, which he got, I don't know if you saw it ever, but he had uh, volleyball players doing it across Canada, um, overseas. Um, I thought that was really cool. And we had a lot of success stories like that through the season. So, um, you know, there's guys that really bought into the program, into the plan, into the extreme um, windfall of pivoting constantly. And then there's other guys that just up and do stuff like that, like uh, that we have no, you know, um, input or control over other than Terry's TikTok recommendations um, that just make it inspiring to come to the gym every day. And that's a great environment to be in during a pandemic. Are you telling me that there's a secret Terry Daniluk TikTok account out there where he's doing TikTok dances? If there is, I don't know about it. I mean, Terry was, you know, slow on the uptake with, with Instagram, but now he's all over it posting clothes and training videos and a, a very unique combination of stuff. He might be on TikTok. I don't know. I can only handle a couple of social media accounts. So I don't have TikTok. If there is a secret t- Terry Daniluk uh, TikTok account where he's doing, you know, like the woe and all of these other TikTok dances, that that's definitely something that I and the people want to see. So uh, if anyone out there knows about this, please let us know yeah. because that that would be fantastic. Do you think now University of Alberta in general was was really the first school to kind of cut this season? And just kind of cut their losses and like, hey, you know what, no matter what, we're, you know, we're not going to be, I think it was all of the winter sports were, were kind of cut, or was it all sports? So uh, last summer, um, in a combination of the provincial government cuts to U of A, and then, um, you know, we had, we had plans for the provincial cuts, and then they were higher, but that, that was okay uh, for us to survive within cool well not okay it was you know manageable difficult but um once once covid hit and that chopped away at things like students being on campus uh which chopped chopped away at um sport rec fees which are a pretty common mechanism to fund programs plus just covid cut covid took pulled the carpet up from underneath us in terms of fundraising because so much fundraising is done in person so uh ian saw the writing on the wall and he, I think, wanted to be very clear and transparent. And I think that was great leadership. I think he got some flack from some places and people, which I think was maybe misplaced and short-sighted because, you know, when it came to January, he seemed like a genius. He, he was like, it's not going to be a season. It's not going to be a good season. And plus, we can't afford it. We're out. We're saving up for, we're going to regroup and save up for what's next. And now we're ready. Like that was a tough year financially, but we have, you know, I talk about our team and, and making it through because of our team, but really our, our senior leadership at U of A has been incredible um, in terms of him and his office. And then our COVID manager is the other guy to throw a shout out to like those two, the broad vision of those, those two um, offices, I guess I would call them really helped steady our ship, not just our ship, all, all the sports teams. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, I, I almost feel like it would be a better situation to have your season, like knowing going into the season that you weren't going to be playing, you weren't going to have a season rather than being in the gym and, and hoping and waiting. And uh, yeah, it, it seems, from what I hear, it seems like you guys manage that well. How how has this affected recruiting? Because, you know, we haven't had uh, a national, t- you know, we haven't had uh, an entire club season this past year. 
and the year before nationals and and I believe provincials were, were canceled. So how how does that affect recruiting and and bringing new people into the program? U of A recruiting or just like how has it affected recruiting across the country? Well, I mean, for just for, for yourself and 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 for the team. Uh, uh, we were lucky with a couple um, really early commitments. Uh, we had pretty early commitments in two positions. Um, so that helped. Uh, I think my perception, you know, recruiting, sometimes we talk about it as coaches, but sometimes it's a really coveted thing, like your recruiting process. Um, so I can only really speak to my perception, but um, I think that it requires creativity and shrewdness the right the right word industriousness Mm -hmm. and come the pandemic you had to really um rely on your research your network your ability to evaluate evaluate video um and luck you know if you lucked out and had some of those things in line before or if you lucked out and had people in your backyard you know during that recruiting cycle that would be very beneficial because it's easy for you to deal with that athlete um if they're in your backyard now you still can't we still couldn't meet those athletes um but it's always easier if you have backyard athletes which we had one um because it you know they're in your backyard but in a pandemic no one else can come in your backyard anymore which normally can happen which ways which is the way recruiting goes so someone like joel nickel who was our um local commit uh no one else could offer him a recruit trip or even plan anything like that. I mean, we couldn't either, but Joel had been around in Edmonton for so long. And I think, you know, was really keen on coming to U of A, but come the grade 11 year, that's where guys start to really suss out their options and start to consider whether they want to stay somewhere or leave somewhere and those kind of things. So um, the big thing for me is just that creativity and industriousness piece that I think if you're a good recruiter, then you had to really go to work on those two things. Yeah, I, and I'm sure uh, also picking up Landon Curry from TRU, that was, you know, uh, a while ago, but that, that was also a big pickup for you guys heading into, I guess, next season. It was huge. Uh, I mean, that I think I, I keep saying this, but that one was really lucky. Um, we, uh, just the way life happens, sometimes guys aren't, into volleyball anymore in our uh, upcoming young, well, m- not young, medium age libero, Hunter Stewart. I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah, I remember Hunter Stewart. Yeah, incredible athlete. Um, just decided he wasn't as into volleyball anymore and wanted to focus on school and work. And um, that happens with athletes. With Hunter, he had the maturity and foresight to let me know early. So we were working on that together. And then, so I had to start looking at liberos and I wasn't finding many, um, but you know, I wasn't too concerned because we had we have Younger and Sam Drybrow. We got some other guys that could trans could not transfer could be multi position guys. Um, and then Landon Curry texted me one day, and I don't know if you if you know the process here uh, ever, but you have to go through like eighties eighties coach when a, when an athlete texts you, and uh, I ended up calling Pat Henley. Landon's coach and Pat was really receptive and understanding to his athlete wanting to transfer. Um, and Pat and I have a really good relationship and, um, that I was happy that we could, um, maintain that during something like that because transfers hurt 
got like when guys are transferring away from you, that's tough. Um, it happens. Uh, but for us at the end of the day, we really lucked out getting Landon because, you know, one of the top guys, if not the top guy in that position. And, uh, it was a position that we just happened to have a hole in. So that, that worked really well. That's super lucky. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, you and, and, and Pat still have a, a good relationship, especially how, uh, uh, things went down with uh, nationals in in 2019. I know he was pretty upset there after you guys got the uh, the nationals bid over 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 them uh, for Laval. Yeah, I was pretty upset too. That was uh, we sucked in that series, um, and we sucked while they rocked it. They were so good. Everyone played so good. Landon played so good. Tim Daubert was unreal. Um, but uh, they deserved to win that series. Um, and you know, Pat wasn't upset with me over that. Uh, there was the whole after effect of that um, and then us going and, you know, I can understand why someone would be upset with that. On the other hand, it was very clear that that was the scenario that year. Like it was very, very clear. It was stated very early what was going to come from the VRS that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we ended up, you know, just having the right ranking, which allowed us to go. Uh, that wasn't, it wasn't a surprise that that could happen. Uh, what the surprise was, was the, the formula that spat us out as the team. Now it has to be a surprise because the VRS formula is proprietary. So it's not like we can go in there and figure it out, even if we could, that'd be a long formula to figure out, but there's pieces where you can kind of, you know, think and evaluate it. And we were like, man, we might actually still get in. How weird would that be? And that's what ended up happening. And, you know, I could see how that would be really frustrating. Um, but uh, I will say peanuts in compared to the frustrations caused by the following system. Yes, the uh, I, I definitely agree because, I mean, I even I went on a bit of a rant about how um, there was so few uh, teams, like how Brandon and Trinity Western were playing each other in the semifinals um the 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 following year in 2020 and one of those teams who were in the national final the year before wouldn't be going right obviously it ended up being brandon and i i definitely had some some issues with that and even that's coming from a guy who's from ontario and has definitely been accused of being pro ontario in the past but uh i felt that there was you know there's there's no doubt about it the canada west is the strongest division for men's volleyball in in the country and for women's volleyball for for that matter and uh, definitely would have wanted to see more representatives uh, coming out of the Canada West. Now, you guys, the Canada West has already announced how they're going to be dealing with, with the, I guess, post-COVID era. Um, you guys are going to be competing more in uh, your region. So how do you plan to kind of prepare for this season? Uh, the simplest way I can put it is trying to create frequency of competition that's similar to a normal season. And so I'm in the middle of doing that. Uh, I don't want to overdo it where we're booking all our weekends. Um, but the, that's the, the simplest way I can articulate the goal is to create more competition. Um, so I'm in the middle of, you know, contacting people with teams within our network to create um, extra competition. Is there, you know, situations there where you're, you're contacting old alumni, bringing in some guys? Because, you know, you, you are in Edmonton. Edmonton is one of the biggest volleyball hubs in the, in the country. So, you know, is it are you going to be playing against CCAA teams, alumni teams? I, I guess now there's quite a few more U-sport teams 
uh, in the Alberta area than there was when 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 you played uh, in the league with the addition of McEwen and and Mount Royal. But um, how creative are you going to be getting with some of these matchups? Like, are we going to see like? I don't think as creative as as trying to throw together some all star alumni team. We do that every year, um, and I mean, we had every team had probably less than. 50% of their normal training last year, or let's call it, you know, 40 to 60%. Our alumni have had way, way less. So, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe we're lucky enough to catch Brett Walsh on a, on a week back or convince Riley Barnes to come out and play. But sometimes guys are moving on from volleyball and don't want to do it. Um, and then other times there's the guys that are getting old and want to do it, but they might not be in shape enough to, handle blocking Billy Johnstone or, or put hands in front of Braden Friesen and, and survive with them. Um, so uh, we do like bringing out our alumni when we can. Um, I think our alumni are incredible in the way of engagement and, and like the social, the social piece, but it won't rely. And we do that like once a year with, with what's called the team can masters match, but it'll re our, the creativity piece will rely more on, regional and actually more on uh outer regional teams trying to create scenarios there and um newer types of inner squad activities okay fair enough. And i would explain those more it's just that they're not like one not organized yet like right now i'm just sending out feelers and ideas and two it's like not really public what we're trying to create in terms of some matchups so i don't want to you know, you yeah. don't you don't need to give away all your all your you know secrets yeah. just yet. You guys are one of the best in the country for a reason, and you know if you guys were giving away all all your secrets, I'm, I'm sure every, everyone would try to do what the the Golden Bears do, right? I mean, I remember years ago listening to an interview with uh, or, or listening to a seminar with Benjo, and he was going through and being like, "Look, Alberta's the best team in our league, and we do everything to try to beat Alberta because in our view, if you can beat Alberta, then you can you can beat any everyone else." So. I'm sure that uh, a, a lot of teams would like to know how, how you guys uh, how you guys manage your, your team and have been so good for so long. Well, I, I think it's more just I don't have the details finalized because this would be a great platform to talk about some of those ideas, but I, I don't want to uh, All right, well, come, say them and then they don't end up happening. Come, come September. But there's some fun stuff that we're trying to arrange um, that I think could make for a quite exciting season. Um, so... Hopefully uh, you'll hear about those and and get excited. Come come se come September, we'll have you back on the show. We can we can discuss a few of those things and uh, and and prep us for the season. Now, is there? Do we know if there's going to be a U Sport National Championships? Like, is is the are are we going to go back to semi normal next year um, uh, for the season, kind of on a national scale? I think so. There's been. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm quite adamant. So. Um, Canada West schedule. I don't, you know, I've seen the Canada West schedule. I don't think it's been released. Have you seen it ever? No, I haven't, I, I I haven't seen the schedule. I've, I've just seen kind of how, how they want to operate. Yeah. So, uh, but you know where, you know, that U sports nationals is, is going to be at Manitoba. Oh, it, oh, it's going back to Manitoba. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. So does that mean That's next year, next year will be at Brandon? Uh, oh, you know, now you're testing me. I can't remember. But th that stuff is public. That's on the right. eSports site. Um, so eSports National Championship is, is planned to, to go ahead. It's a little later. Um, so 
the the changes that are being made um, at the regional levels are to account for um, COVID-19 transmission and uh, budgets that have been hit uh, because of the pandemic or for whatever reasons um, to, to create a temporary structure. And then we'll return back to status quo seasons in 2022-23. Um, it's not going to be a normal season next year with, with, you know, conferences going provincial or regional. Uh, but I, th uh, there's the change, the changes that have been made are reduced schedule. So there's not as much schedule, a later, um, a later start time and then working in just buffering and, and just in case breaks and such like that, uh, just to account for randomness that can crop up because of COVID-19. Um, so it's not going to be as awesome of a Canada West season, but I think after this year, guys are, are going to be really excited uh, to play any type of like formal competition. And once we get to the back half uh, playoffs, everything that is being scheduled and built is to allow for normal merit-based playoffs well, in the Canada West that I can speak to normal merit-based playoffs um, and then a U Sports National. So that that end of the season, I think, is going to look quite normal. Um, and in true, you know, Canadian volleyball fashion, the structure is going to once again change. Of course. Like it does every year. Well, the Canada West doesn't change as frequent, but of course the U Sports um, structure does in terms of who's getting there and, and things like that. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just another year of, trying to figure that one out i mean it's a top-down thing from volleyball because it seems every year we've got I, I don't think there's another sport in the world that gets together every year and is like all right guys what rules are we going to change this year now we're are we going to allow net touches are we not going to allow net touches oh no we're we're, we're going to allow them again no no no. we're going we're going to take them away or hey let's just switch up world league doesn't work let's just switch it up to vnl and 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 everything so on and so forth so i mean i i feel like it's a it's a top-down thing that you know we could never we can never just agree on one way to do things, and uh, that that affects the rest of us. Yeah, now we'll have this new element of rule changes um, because of COVID, and you see that already on VNL with no side switches, no ball, kids. Um, you know, I mean, mask wearing, but everyone's quite um, used to wearing masks by now, and I, I imagine we'll be we'll have similar rule adjustments. But for a different reason this time, it's not just about fitting us into a time slot. It's about uh, COVID nineteen transmission safety. Do you think we'll we'll be wearing masks in match, or m just more so on the benches and stuff? Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, I, th I I'm curious as to whether that would be related to vaccines. Of course, anyone can wear a mask if it's their personal choice. Like, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Mauricio was wearing one. Yep, the match against Canada. I imagine that was just personal choice. Um, a mask mandate i don't know because you you take you think about like vaccine uptake where it'll be at will it be needed will it be that extra uh, set of precautions maybe i i can say that i don't think it's a big deal to train in masks i and i was someone that was vehement against it to begin with but uh because we were mandated by our athletics office and our athletic director and again like i'll toot his horn locks i'm a big fan but the next day i was like okay it worked. It's it makes sense, and we did it, and it, it was fine on the guys. Now, of course, they're gonna not want to wear masks, 
but um for us it was not a big deal to wear masks while we played in train yeah it's going to be interesting to see how everything starts getting back to normal once vaccination starts coming through and once everyone starts having their second dose i mean i would imagine by you know the beginning of 2022 that the majority of people who will need to you know ha- will, will be wanting to get vaccinated and, and, and need to get vaccinated will have will have done so so it's interesting to see how quickly we're gonna you know move move back to normal and then you know also it, it always there's always that question mark like how long does the vaccine last like is this going to be a yearly thing like with the 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 flu the flu uh the flu shot but i mean that's those that's not a conversation for uh for this forum we're here to talk about volleyball not not the uh not the pandemic yeah vaccine conversations and covid 19 conversations can can really go a long way because i'm really interested in all those things you said but yeah i think if you want to leave it on volleyball we can do that yeah absolutely i mean like it's i i don't know much about the vaccine i don't know much about covid 19 general I'm, I'm not a scientist i don't i don't know these things i i know about volleyball and uh you know uh, other fun things like that now um you know i, I mentioned to, to, to before i i do have a question for you um in the past few years we've seen an influx of different schools joining the canada west and now when you played kind of in in the 2000s all of those schools were in the CCAA. They were they were colleges, MRU. Uh, I, I, was it just MRU and McEwen in on the Alberta side of things? That weren't in the league. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So now, do, how do you think that affects um, the league play? Because I've seen on, on on I've seen kind of two different stories. Some say that you know it's a great thing we're bringing more schools in, and other people have said that you know it's kind of diluting the uh the talent field a, a little bit you know back when when you played it was a very uh normal thing especially for alberta guys you guys had that pipeline go you're gonna go dominate for a few years at red deer college you're gonna win a few ccaa national national championships uh there with the kings and then you're gonna come play for for, for u of a how do you think that's affected um you know u sports and canada west volleyball in general yeah, that's, I think, a, there's a lot of opinion opinions in answering that question. Um, I think back then, those days, it, you know, Red Deer was in their glory of powerhouse. Like, that was a very, Seven, very strong Red eight, Deer era. Eight in a row? Eight in a row. But, but if it weren't Red Deer, there were other really strong college teams feeding in Alberta, too. So like Mount Royal, McEwen, because um, McEwen was a really good college team right before they... they um, and there's other ones that are still strong so like sate you you talk about red deer like red deer played sate in the national final several times um nate uh kings um when i played med hat was really good i mean grand prairie has had you know you know if you if you look at the span of time grand prairie has had some very strong college teams um so what red deer was yeah we we had that kind of farm team thing and that sometimes it was not even a farm team. It was a team that was real close. Um, but there are other other teams that were that were Alberta feeders as well. Um, how it's changed, uh, you know, it's. I, I think that the top high school players no longer go college. It has to be a very very specific scenario, or they have to be late bloomers. So maybe. 
you know, super gangly six, eight, six, nine middles, which we need more of in this country. Maybe they go college and work up from there and get used to the speed of the game before stepping up to like a top Canada West team, uh, where if they go straight to Canada West, maybe, you know, if the timing's right, maybe they get a good amount of break in and everything with timing's wrong. Maybe it doesn't work out for them. Uh, so all the top blue chip high school athletes are now going straight to university more like back when I played, you had to be one crazy good and two crazy lucky with your timing. So I'm talking, I'll, if you I mean volleyball and yourself, I'm sure you remember like a Leo Carroll. Yep. Yep. So he went, uh, first year, sorry, I should say to start not, it wasn't just lucky that, sorry, you didn't have to be a rock star or lucky to get on a university team, but to have an impact early, um, you have to be phenomenally good back then to, to, to play on, to start early on any university team. Um, now it's, I mean, those guys that are like that now will do that early, but, um, there's so many more university teams that I think there's, there's more access to, to, to playing in the Canada West because there's more university teams. Um, and that creates more volleyball being played in our country, uh, in the Canada West, because now there's all these university teams, there's all these college teams. Um, so I think part of the mandate of the conferences, whether it be university or college in the, in the West is access and participation. Um, the, the flip side to that is I think that from a high performance standpoint, that doesn't necessarily get us to where we want to be, um, in terms of development because only the upper echelon are going to develop anyways, um, towards, towards, you know, national team and international potential. So one could argue that like having a model where there's less teams and more strong teams, that's going to develop even better out of the Canada West. Um, but there's teams that come in that are coming to the league league week, and then they have really good structure. They have a coach who knows what he's doing, volleyballizing, wise recruiting wise, and that can really grow to a powerful team. Um, it's been a long time since they entered the league, but a really good example of that is Mount Royal. It's it's funny that you mentioned kind of how the development side for you know professionally and internationally, because in the past decade we've seen a massive, massive growth in terms of the amount of guys, like massive growth in terms of the success of the national team. We've seen a massive, massive growth in, in terms of the amount of guys who are going to play professionally. I mean. I can't keep track of how many Golden Bears have gone over the past few years and gone and, and played, you know, had success uh, internationally and professionally. Of course, Brett Walsh has been leading the uh, men's national team recently. You just had two Golden Bear guys retire from the, from the national team. George Horburn had a great year in, in Austria right. as well. Um, one of the top block blockers there. But, you know, it, it seemed like back when you were an athlete and you were coming through through the system that it was a lot tougher for Canadians in general to find pro contracts. Do you think that's true? Yeah, hundred percent. I have like my opinion on, it. I don't know if my opinion is accurate. I mean, you're asking some really good questions that I think like I would be curious to get coaches opinions across the country. And these are things we talk about when we get together, the things that I think like the way I like to describe it is comparing our like third tier players to the American third tier players internationally and the contracts they're getting. So I remember when I was overseas, some of the third tier American athletes were getting contracts in places like Poland and France and ours were not. Mm -hmm. And I look at those athletes like, you know, seeing them right now or seeing them when I knew them in college, those guys aren't different. He's just American. He's Canadian. Um, and then for me, and this would be where I'd be curious where other coaches think, cause maybe I'm too, 
um, reductive in this, but I think YouTube and 2016 happened and the world went, oh, Canadians are good. Let's start signing them. And of course, like you're like around that time when it's guys like, well, Gord had already been established, but who was young at that time? Shawan, Shawan's <laughs> incredibly, incredibly physical, but like our top guys are going to get good contracts, but our third tier guys, like back when I played, they weren't getting into France and Poland. They were maybe second in Portugal or, you know, starting in Sweden. But now I think that our guys in, in similar scenarios are getting really good contracts um, or really good compared to where the Americans used to be because the Americans had probably a better global reputation because the information wasn't as readily available. And now I think one with YouTube and everything, you know, volleyball source, everything that is out there for people to see and how easy it is to see athletes anywhere in the world. Coaches can do their homework rather than just, you know, taking reputation or, a, or another coach's word on it. Plus now it's like, Oh, Canada is not now has qualified for the Olympics again. There's that thing that maybe adds as a trusting factor. Cause I think kind of just a little bit before that time is when these, the contract scenarios started to change and a lot more Canadians were getting a lot better contracts. What do you think? I think it's a it's a mix of things. I think everything that that you've said 100 percent is is very is is very valid. Um, 2016 is 100 percent was definitely that that change when it was just kind of like oh, you know we went from, you know I still remember guys who you know I look at that that 2012 uh, this was kind of when you were still playing but 20 the 2012 U, or CIS national championships was really like the start. It was. You know, Rudy Verhoof was there. Jay Blankenau was there with with Calgary. Like that 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 national championship was, was kind of like the start of the the core of guys that that we have now and and kind of further from there. Um, and you had guys kind of graduating from CIS who were all stars going to play in Sweden to start. And you know, back then the FTC was really to create that bridge where, like, it wasn't uncommon for the CIS Player of the Year to go to the FTC for a year for a little bit of maturation, and then go play professionally. Whereas now, you know, we've seen guys who win win the OUA Player of the Year or OUA East Player of the Year go get contracts in Italy, which is is absolutely is obviously absolutely incredible. Um, but you know, I, I'm interested to think like personally for you right because you were you were on the national team radar you had caps for, for the national team you had a decent professional career but do you think if you were playing now that that would have been a longer maybe more successful career that's a tough question um because it just seemed back then like you said like the options for canadian volleyball players were so little I remember back it was like 2011, yeah, 2011, and we had like 12 guys playing professionally overseas, and yeah. that that was it for Canada. And you know what? At one point we reached a peak of over a hundred. It's come back down a little bit since since COVID. I think there was only 70 some, but still, the fact that there's 70 plus Canadian males, and that's just not including the women. The women were 50 plus playing professionally overseas is incredible to me. So I guess the way I would answer that is what I was saying before gets athletes their first year. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Your entry, our entry level has now changed in my opinion. After you're over there, it's all the same as when I play. 
because it's the, that's the same access as they had before, or at least the same trust. Um, so like for me in my scenario, I had a good first contract because I had a good reputation. I'd been starting on developmental national teams. I was an early, I was part of the national, the A team early on. Um, I was part of the first FTC, which had, had two not uh, CIS players here. Mark Dodds and Nicholas Cundy were both there. Dallas Sunias, who was you know a phenomenal international player. Uh, Louis Pierre Manville. Um, was Alex? Yeah, Gomocasias. Alex. There? Alex Gomocasias. Chris Wolfenden. We had a bunch of left sides in a libero, so I won Dallas. So I didn't really get used to setting middle, but um, Glenn really wanted to. That was the first year of the FTC being revitalized. So it was our seven guys that trained there all year in Winnipeg. And it hadn't existed since the early nineties back, like when guys like Kent Greaves did it. Um, and you know, Glenn was trying to help us, help us get contracts. He thought buying into the FTC would help us with our skills and our strength, which it did. Like our first year pro was easy for all of us. Like we were so strong because of that FTC model back then. Um, but I think we were guys that had, uh, a good reputation. We had a really good resume. Like those were all guys that were either playing at world championships or the Fichu games, which back then was quite strong. So we had a lot of exposure. Um, so like my, uh, the teams I got placed on early, I think were good entry to pro had I, my success later. I think I had, I played longer, maybe, um, things started to wane with me with the national team. And if you go down with the national team, then that can affect your ability to get a pro contract, especially if you're dropping down back then. Um, and my last year pro wasn't very strong, but I had some personal stuff come up. Like my, my back, I injured my back. My mom got breast cancer. And so I went home to be with her and she's fully recovered and great now. That's, that's um, great to hear. And that was the inflection point for my coaching career. Cause I, I had thought about, continue to play. Glenn was trying to help me get a contract in Turkey, which didn't work out. Um, and I was not really feeling like playing anymore because I knew that like, for me, things were declining with the national team. Guys were surpassing me. Um, and I wasn't enjoying pro enough to grit that out. Um, so I, I'd thought about it and that maybe I could have had an upswing because that happens. There's guys on the national team now that have, you know, have had valleys and then they, they peak or not peak. They just go on the upswing and that's, you know, a performer, a, a gritty kind of thing to do for me, the, the, the decision to go back to be with my mom, I think was, was a really big inflection point because when I was back there, back here, I asked Terry if I could come out and help with the setters once a week with, with, with golden bears. And that reignited volleyball for me. Um, and I went back to the FTC the next year, um, but then decided to, to hang it up. And then Terry approached me with a, a succession plan. So being back that year when, when my mom was going through breast cancer was kind of the, uh, yeah, I'll say it again, the inflection point. Cause I hadn't thought about coaching before that. And then Terry liked what I was doing with the setters and the team and the presence I had with the team. And so he said, Hey, why don't we look at this? This is how it could work for you if you wanted to be the next coach. So was that kind of the beginning of like the masters of coaching program uh, uh, within within U of A, or was that a, uh, something that was already established there? No, it was already established. Like uh, Brad Pawlowski went through it okay. before. Um, can't I'm blanking right now. I think some other people did that I can't think of, but 
Um, that was near the start, near the start. Because that, that was definitely going to be one of my questions is that you've been with the program for so long now and you've you've progressed with, with the program. And I was always kind of wondering, like, was that always a goal of yours uh, to kind of go back and, and become a coach or, you know, did it come come together naturally? And it sounds like it kind of came together a little serendipitously. It was absolutely serendipity. Um, I never planned to coach. I, I had been coaching uh, like I started coaching, um, teenage girls, like skills, um, Aaron, Dallas Sunius, I was working out with Aaron Shula one day and Dallas Sunius said, Hey, you guys should coach in the summer coach skills. And I was like, Oh, that's not a bad idea. We just got to find gym time and stuff like that and gear. And then the f- fog volleyball, like the G and fog, George Tukarski friends of friends of George, right? George. Yeah. Uh, you know, got on as a sponsor and said, Hey, if you, if you do this with the fog name, I'll give you, you know, help you out with stuff. And then Shula and I went to work on it. You know, Aaron Shula. I yeah. Assume. Red deer. Yeah. Um, and, uh, we just made a bunch of cash, like a bunch of cash. And I was like, Whoa, this could be, there's, there you go. That it, coaching was my side hustle went back when I used to play. <laughs> since you're oh was that were we recording that yeah, we, we weren't we weren't recording that was just just us kind of you know chatting chatting before the show but I, absolutely that's great was there anything that you were looking else to do or were you kind of just gonna figure it out yeah. i wanted to move <laughs> uh like i'm a music fan mm-hmm. and a big music guy like i played music longer than i played volleyball and when i was waffling between what to do next after I was done with the national team, I was going to move to uh, Nova Scotia to play music. Wow. Why Nova, why Nova Scotia? Because Davin St. Pierre was there. Davin St. Pierre. Okay. Uh, Davin St. Pierre is from New Brunswick. So yeah, I'm yeah. not missing that. He was doing his master's at Dalhousie. So uh, I and Davin and I are very, very close. And we had been playing music for a long time before that. Um, and so I was going to, I said, hey, let's, like, we've been talking about trying to do it for, a year seriously like we we've been talking about doing it we're like hey let's put a year into it let's do it let's like create some tours not tours but like let's see if we can bum around playing like pubs and bars and stuff like that and i was like hey man i got nothing to do like i'll, I'll move out there and that and i'd be happy to try to do that with you and he in an honest and mature way said i can't devote the time to because i'm doing my masters and i was like okay fair enough and then things came up with my mom and I said, well, that kind of does it for me. I'll move back to Edmonton because this is where I need to be right now. Um, so other than that, no, I had nothing. Like I, I, uh, I was working at David's Tea, which I really enjoyed. David's Tea is a sweet place to work because really? I, I could not, I could not picture you working at David's Tea, especially back then with that. Well, maybe that back then with the long hair, it's a, it fits the bill a yeah. little bit more. But wow, David's Tea, I would not have imagined that. When's the last time you've been in a David's Tea? I know they're a lot less popular now, but um, I mean, I haven't been in a store for God knows how long, right? I'm drinking tea right now. I've got some ginger turmeric uh, up here, uh, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while since I've been to a David's Tea. Man, like people that go on David's Tea love to be at David's Tea. Like it's the joke that we had. Like we were down the hall from Lululemon over Christmas, and Lululemon was okay. tense. Like. The people that are going in there want their stuff. They want it fast. They've been standing in line forever. But in David's Tea during Christmas, it's like everyone's just looking around bright-eyed and like, oh, can I try that tea? Can I try that tea? 
anyways, it was a fun place to work. I wanted to do stuff that had nothing to do with volleyball because at that time I was burnt out from volleyball. I had a bad pro year. Um, and our team culture was really bad on that team. Was that and I, was, I don't want to say the name of the club because it just didn't, uh, yeah, it wasn't a great year for us. And, you know, in a, in a, um, more athletic scenario, I would be bitter about that because I would want to have a rebound, but I'm not at all. I have no regrets from hanging it up because I did it to be with my mom. And, and then this opportunity came along and, you know, for anyone that pays attention to coach hiring in Canada, you have to be extremely lucky and have incredible timing to get a coaching job. Um, and and you it presented itself to me. I didn't take the offer right away. Like I, uh, Terry brought it up and then I had a trip planned with my now wife who is a really good volleyball player. I don't know how, how deep your knowledge is, but Holly Harper, do you know? The name is the name's familiar. Yeah. She played with Julie Young and Joanne Mucheska at back in the day at UFC. Yeah. At Calgary. Okay. And, and Natalie Schwartz. Natalie Schwartz was a setter at that time. All right. Anyways, we went on a trip uh, overseas and I thought about it for a good couple months and then came back and decided to uh, start my master's. And I was kind of, that's when I kind of joined as a staff member and I've been on it ever since. So first of all, what, what year was that? 2012. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes yeah, sense. That, that, that makes sense. But back to the music thing. First of all, like what are, are you a guitar guy? I could see you as yeah. a guitar guy. Okay. I am a guitar guy. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel like I, I knew that whether it was from seeing a picture or, or something like, so what, and then what type of music were you guys going to be going? Are you guys going to be going down like the rock road? Are you guys going to be going down like the indie folk road? Um, or, you know, do you think you would have ever gotten to the electronic music, you know, the EDM that's popular with the, with the kids today? I like all that stuff that you said. I grew up as like a, a rock playing guitar player mm-hmm. or like a not good enough to play metal guitar player. Mm, yeah. Speaking of guitar players and volleyball guys and like current guys like Matthias Elser, you ever seen that guy play guitar? No, I've, I've, I didn't know Elser could play guitar. Is there anything he can't do? I don't know, man. Uh, not in my experience. I coached him at Canada Games, double underager on the Canada Games team. And um, Matthias and I would talk guitars or sit and he'd play guitar and I'd listen. And, but um, he he plays some pretty cool stuff. Uh, yeah. Pretty. Uh, I like all those um, types of music you said. Obviously, guitar doesn't have a ton of place in EDM. Um that's more Dallas Unis' root. Well, maybe not EDM, but there's been on on Team Canada. There's been some amazing musicians. Like, have you spent? Have you seen Dallas do anything musically? No, I, I haven't seen Dallas do anything musically. I knew I know he can dance. Yeah, well, he's a really he's a really good DJ. He DJed our our wedding. He's a drummer and a really good drummer. Okay. Um, Brett Walsh. I mean, you can if you go on Brett Walsh's Instagram account, you can see him playing playing piano and singing. I, I did I did know about Brett because I mean his dad is uh, I've I've listened to I I know his dad is still doing musical stuff in around yeah. in and around uh, uh, Edmonton. Um, they, his dad Rod Walsh, who was a member of the 1984 Olympic team, or was with was with that that group. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's sick. I've always kind of thought like maybe maybe we should get together like a, a team Canada. I don't know, like just just jam and jam session or something. You know, get get the guys together. 
and uh and you know just just play some music so we had one in uh back when in the winnipeg days we called it uh Duraco's pain Duraco's pain because we we had that when it was Stelio was coaching the team yeah yeah do you know chris wolfenden yeah yeah chris wolfenden really good guitar player good singer okay. so it was me him christian barta do you remember christian barta oh, i don't know that name no dallas was on drums and then our our bass player was our um was our athletic therapist but one of the, the guy that a lot of people don't know and he's incredible at guitar especially with the massive massive hands that he has is paul durden Durden can play guitar. Durden can play guitar really well. All yeah. right. Well, I'll have to ask him about that uh, next time. If ever you guys want to do this and you guys need a bass player, maybe a singer, I'll jump in and uh, I can help out there. Okay. I can help out there too. I, I play a little piano and, and some guitar as well, but I mean, I've seen what some of the other guys can do. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm more of a background guy for that kind of stuff, but that that, that would be sweet. Kind of going back to the Winnipeg days. What what was it like back in in Winnipeg? Because it seems like Winnipeg was was such a different Canadian volleyball world. Like it was when the program had very little money, uh, was struggling to find success. And you know what was it like? And also a, another thing too is that the women and men were together, right, in the same place. So it it seems like it was a a bit of a different world than what we see now with you know the training centers in Gatineau and Richmond. Yeah. So some of the like uh, bare bones stuff there, like we didn't really have a home gym. Mm -hmm. So we trained out of the IGAC when we were lucky and then a place called Lipset Hall when we weren't, which is where we trained out of for FTC. Um, and that was, like you said, kind of a funding thing. We didn't really have a team room. Um, I don't know if you've been in the team room at Gatineau, but it's a pretty special spot. Uh, we didn't have that at, uh, in Winnipeg, we would use the Bison's team room when we, when we could. Um, now that being said, the structure and the people, like, uh, I was there, I went there with when Stelio was the coach and then Glenn came in after, after Stelio and, uh, the, the other people, you know, like, you know, Frank Boyer, who just recently Frank Boyer legend, not, not enough, not enough credit goes to Frank Boyer for sure. Yeah, and the people that came before him, yeah, I don't know if you remember them, like Emily Archambault, mm -hmm. uh, yep. and then Carla Steiner uh, was the Winnipeg version. And that position, whoever's hiring that position is doing an incredible job. Same with, well, I don't know what it's like now. I assume it's incredible as well, but athletic therapy was just amazing. Like our athletic therapist then, and when we moved to Gatineau, the, the staff members were just awesome, awesome people and guys that we really got along with. And that was the case in Winnipeg. Like those kind of people just made it awesome. Like Carla Steiner, I was out, she's now Carla Wolfenden. I was really close with Car Carla. We almost called the band Steiner's Ache, but we called it Duraco's Um, And oh, you're really man. entertaining me here with these glory day stuff. But um, the, the thing for me, like I was happy as, you know, swear word, to be there because I grew up watching these guys play in that gym. I grew up watching Marie Grappentine and Paul Durden, Scott Kosky, uh, all these guys. And then I got to go and be there and train with them. And so I remember like when I, when I got on the plane to go there, just being like ecstatic. So arriving in Win Winnipeg, getting my own apartment in Winnipeg, you know, where the national team was training, 
I have nothing but just the fondest memories of being there. Plus I was there with, we, we had a really good group of guys, all those older guys, uh, like especially Murray Grappetine and Chris Wolfenden really took me under their wing. And those are relationships that I still, still cherish. So I have a lot of really good memories of Winnipeg. Um, and like you said, it's, the, you know, it used to be more commonplace, but I don't know if it will be again. Training in the same city as the women's team created uh, a really special bond with the girls team or the women's team, I should say, because we were really good friends with them. We would, you know, do social events. We'd have parties together and, you know, lo and behold, there's people like uh, Leo Carroll and Emily Cardonia that are now married. And that's Mark Dodds and, and Shelly Chalmers, like that, those kind of relationships formed there um, or at least started there. Just, just building oh. the, the the next future of of all the <laughs> yeah. stars, eh? They're already on my recruiting list, so yeah. those. I I mean, um, I definitely agree because I mean, you mentioned, oh, man, you're mentioning Grappentine and Wolfenden and and guys like Durden and stuff like that. Like that was just when I was getting into volleyball. I remember watching at the Anton Ferlani Cup in in Ottawa, and that was 2005 <laughs> or 2006, and that was literally like that was my first. Like my mom had seen. Grappentine and Brinkman on a plane, a flight home from Germany, and they were on the promo for that event. She was like, "Let's go see this." And I had played like one year of high school vo- or middle school volleyball, and literally, like, I saw though those games. Um, the B team played uh, Argentina, and then the A team played Tunisia on the Friday night, and I ran into someone there. And the next morning was my first club tryout, and that was kind of how how I how I got into the sport, and like legitimately like never looked back after that so you bringing up all of these these legends from like the winnipeg days like those are the guys that that got me and actually somewhere around here i'm not entirely sure i have a signed uh steve brinkman and scott kosky jersey from um the 2006 nice. uh world championships so i love hearing about these kind of these these golden days because as much as you know like that was in a lot of ways kind of a low point from the program of the program it was where everything got rebuilt and it was the base of which you know got got rebuilt um you know even going down like guys like you know dustin schneider and and guys like yourself um who really built up the beginning of of what is team canada men's volleyball today in in from winnipeg and then in in gatineau like that's the beginning of what is the maple volleys now and it's a big part of the reason why you know we are as ranked as high as we are now yeah i, I don't want to say that giving me probably more props than i deserve um but it was i i'm just feel so lucky to have been involved um you know my you mentioned seeing you know your first volleyball memories mine was my, my dad took me to the gym to watch doug bruce set um well, he didn't know. He wasn't. My dad didn't take me knowing who Doug Bruce was. My dad's a curler, um, but he knew I was getting into volleyball. And I saw Doug Bruce set, who later, I mean, has he he had an unfortunate thumb injury that ended his career, but he was at that time, I think, one of the best that that we've had. And it would have been nice to see him play longer. But uh, that was it for me. Like when I saw him play, I was just anyone I saw at that age that was good like him. I was immediately tried to be like them. Whether it was Doug Bruce. Jeremy Wilcox, Kent Greaves, Scott Kosky, just watching Nikola Gurbich, massive Nikola Gurbich fan to go outside of the country. But yeah, back then, the other thing ever is the, we, we weren't living in the, in the YouTube era, right? So like when we got to see that kind of stuff, we, we just, you know, you tried to take a snapshot or memorize it or like keep that VHS tape somewhere where it wasn't going to get 
melted to the wall or something like that. And I had a lot of those tapes at home. Oh, I bet. I I would love to t- take a look at those. I, I do remember the first time uh, I got to watch you play, though. It was the, t- the Pan Am Cup in 2011. We were playing in Gatineau. Uh, at the bob there the rink and there was no air conditioning it was hot as f the entire time we were sweating and you hated the shoes that the national team had given you and you had a discussion with me about you were like do you think that we could unstitch the an asic shoe and we could stitch the like put the bottom of the asic shoe onto this other shoe that we're using and stitch them together because i i, I hate using them and the, I, I still remember I still remember that that conversation with you, and I thought it was hilarious. Well, yeah, during that tournament, I don't know if it was my, you know, complaining and whining or just not want or trying to not wear them. But uh, Glenn called me, and Glenn never called me. Like the just coaches wouldn't call, and he's like, "Listen, I, I know that you're wearing Asics. You gotta wear Mizuno's." And I was like, "They're just really uncomfortable." And he's like, "Yeah, well, I'm not gonna play you if you don't wear them." I was like, "Okay." Got it. I'll wear him. <laughs> I, I do remember you. I'm pretty sure the first game was against the Dominican Republic. And it was a random time. They played the game at like 1 p.m. in the afternoon on a weekday and school was still in session. And there was maybe 200 people in the crowd. And that was, I was like, that was my first event for Volleyball Canada. And I was kind of being like, okay, this was, this is what international volleyball is. All right. This, this is interesting. <laughs> and, and you were, you were wearing ASICs. And I do remember that there's, there's repercussions from that. And I, I, I think that's funny. And I mean, now you're, you're a, a golden bear and you guys in ASICs are, are pretty much synonymous for, for, for shoe game. Well, I feel like the shoe game, I don't know if it was Fred that changed everything, but it's now like a lot different. Like it's a lot, a lot, uh, the sh- more shoe culture like guys got some pretty nice shoes like when i played or at least my approach was just super utilitarian but um now i think there's a lot more desire for like the look of the shoe and i mean i'm not against that it's just the way that the culture shifted but you look at no one's wearing mizunos out there during vnl on our team no very very few i still <laughs> remember talking to, to a few volleyball canada people about it and they were trying to play it off like, oh, no, we've always let them wear what they wanted. And I was like, no, I, I definitely remember Brock talking <laughs> about stitching a Mizuno shoe over an Asics shoe. And I no, mean- I think I, w- I was wrong back then. Like, I should have been doing what, you know, that, that was a big part of our sponsorship. And mm-hmm. you talk about building things in Glenn's, you know, vis- really, really big and broad vision of building things. And I am confident that there's a a billion things he's doing that none of us know about behind the scenes and all the stuff he's had to go through to create the scenario that allows the team to flourish. And a lot of that is of course centered around funding. So back then that would have been a piece of it. And it's something that I should have bought into more, but I think it is, you know, a place it, there's a place in the sport now where that it's when I played shoe sponsorship was a really big thing. Like we had uh, like, we don't have, like a six being our team shoe isn't a thing anymore it was when i played and we would have shoe budget um and when i played all my team canada years it was all like i when i started we were asics and we had to wear asics they were amazing shoes when i when we switched to mizuno at the start they weren't good the shoes weren't good um but mizuno like took the feedback and right when i was ending i remember the shoes start to get a lot better um but you, you take a look at where it is now. And uh, I mean, I don't know the sponsorship deals that 
some athletes or some teams have, but I can just see on the weekend how it's, you know, a lot of our guys aren't wearing their sponsored brand unless it's an individual sponsor in some scenario that I don't know about. Yeah. I, I definitely remember, cause I mean, growing up for myself, it was the same thing where, you know, guys wore running shoes and guys wore Asics or Mizunos and that was it. But then as I still remember, I think it was about 2012. That's when, basketball shoes started coming in and then now you've got nike and adidas like specific volleyball shoes that look good and you know it's, it's all about that look good feel good play good right yeah yeah like when i the you know you mentioned like that there was definitely a trend of type of shoe so like teams that i played on there it went through either volleyball shoe or running shoe those are the big trends i wore basketball shoes when i started playing uh, these super old school Kobe's and then these gross black and orange shoes that I got the nickname spaceman for. Um, and then I stopped wearing those. Uh, I just like the feel of them. I like the higher ankle. Um, but a lot of us were wearing running shoes and, and volleyball shoes. And I found that like, for me, like the shoe I liked the most was just like a, a pure volleyball shoe, like a mid cut shoe. Um, and now I'd say like, I mean, I'm not a big shoe shoe nut so I, I could totally misspeak and not know what i'm talking about which is probably the case but it seems to me like there's a lot more basketball shoes now yeah definitely i i would agree i mean i think i think volleyball has gotten a little more swaggy if you will you know there's a little bit the guys and girls who are coming in have a little bit more confidence and uh they like to show that in the court and hey i, I have no problem with that you know let's take this place in, in sport for that like i don't think we need to just be these uniform autonomatons like um I think it's important that athletes have like a signature style. And I also think it's really important that they buy into a vision of a team, but I think there's room in there for, for personality and, and signature. And, you know, there's, I think you see that on our national team and, but I think you also see, you know, I think our game against Argentina really showcased how much better of a unit our team is than Argentina's was at, like court presence wise while Conte was, off on his own team Canada was just rolling with their unit and wouldn't let go. And, um, you got to find a good balance between the two, but I think there is room for swagger. And I, I believe that when I was a player and as I'm a coach. Oh, absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. And I mean, I, I definitely think it's, it's, it, I think that unity that team Canada has now, um, on the men's side, I think we're starting to see be created on the women's side. It's a, it's a new team, young, young team in, in a lot of ways but on the men's side the way that team interacts and the way that they work together as a unit you know the the sum of its parts is is greater than each individual you know if you take e each of those guys and maybe they're not the biggest players on the on their professional teams i mean some of those guys are getting making putting some, up some pretty good numbers professionally but the way that team canada works together on a whole is so cohesive and that's what makes us you know so deadly at the international level and i mean you you said it before that definitely 100 percent comes from the glenn hogue factor and the the um the culture that he's instilled uh on the team over the past you know 15 plus years now mm -hmm. is, is that now changing gears here i mentioned on, on the onset that you are an assistant coach of the youth national team is that something that is trying to be created 
now with, with the youth national team because you know growing up for me there was no youth national team program you know now we have a youth national team a junior national team you got the next gen you have all of these different groups leading up to the national team is that cohesiveness in, in that way that team canada the way that team canada plays volleyball is that something that you guys instill on in the athletes kind of early on at at those young ages of 17 18 19 it's hard i don't i, don't, I think it's it's hard to get that kind of culture like you talk a, like like a Blair Ban, uh, TJ, Gord, Nick, guys that have been there for, I mean, they're going on a decade. They, they'll pass on the culture. They'll pass on the stories that, that bolster, bolster the culture. They'll pass on the lessons. We can't do that on a youth national team um, or on the youth national team program because it's an age class program. So you have a guy in a maximum scenario three years but it's very rare a lot of times it's like one year two years and that's not a year that's a season um and it's usually weeks so um now that being said it is our job to still instill culture as coaching staff and we had our first virtual meeting on sunday and our head coach mike hawk has did a really good job of um laying out the bones of what that should be in terms of standards and expectations so which i think are quite simple um, team behavioral expectations, but a lot of times it's those simple things that really uh, make a difference in a, in a strong culture. Um, I think it's our job to turn their heads towards the national team and say, this is what it looks like and try and aspire to that. Uh, the more we can get a peek behind the curtain, the more powerful that lesson will be. Because just watching them on VNL, you only get a the tip of the iceberg that is culture. Last year, when we were fully virtual, we got to have um, guys on our call like TJ, like Steve, uh, JVD, Nick, Blair, and then staff as well. Because it was all virtual, like in a normal year, I don't think we get that. Um, but I think that did give a, a, a an eye-opening view to um the culture and the the passion to wear the maple leaf which is one of the things we talked about on sunday which i think is important when you're young and selected to a national team at a young age uh to make sure you definitely don't take that for granted yeah i i definitely think that important is important i mean i know i saw uh liam rimple for example he was he was posting he's one of the guys who was announced to the the 30 the 30 man roster and he was posting about how honored he was to wear the maple leaf and uh i definitely agree that that's something that that needs to to be instilled and and kind of pushed at that young age that like hey it's a it's an incredible honor to wear this jersey and to be a part of this program and you know you have to treat it as such it's very interesting to me when i look at the coaching staff of this program because you've got like my guys like mike hawkins yourself um you know uh dave preston some of the the top coaches in in the country who are all during the regular season during you know the winter fall winter and spring months who are all competitors and uh then in the off season in the summer you guys come together to work together to um you know better canada's youth how is that dynamic of working with you know some of the best among some of the best coaches in the country well, we haven't done much yet because uh, we've done selections um, and then just some really preliminary planning. Uh, I think that 
Mike organized us as a staff very well in terms of selections because it was a really unique scenario and there was a lot of work to do. Um, for, I can only speak to like the, our corner of, not corner, but our side of Canada in terms of coach relationships. Like I think for me, I like having professional peers, but I also really like competing. And that was really similar to how I played. So if I stepped on the court against a Mark Dodds when I played, I was there to ruin Mark Dodds as much as I could and his team. And I would do that at any cost, ethically speaking. Uh, and then off the court, I would want to know him and get to and be friends with him. And like, I would value that relationship so much. So like Dodds and I like hated each other, good court hate when we played, but we lived together off the court, like with national team. Um, and that kind of relationship went back and forth, not back and forth, continued through our careers because he was at U of S, I was at U of A, and we would just be at each other's throats when we played. And then we would, you know, be in each other's arms when we we're off the court. And that, uh, though it's, a, it's different now, it's a, it's a lot less fiery and a lot more mature, not mature because you can be mature and do that, but it's a lot less fiery. I still value that type of relationship with my peers. So like if I'm, going to prepare for a match. I seriously want to beat the other coach and the other team on the other side, but I really value the the peer group. And I think that I'm afraid of, of losing that because being a coach, it can be very lonely. Um, and that's just the nature of the job. And so I've, I've really valued the relationships I have with the coaches in our conference because those are the ones I see the most and talk to the most. And, you know, I could like in the last two weeks, I had phone calls with Ben Josephson, Sean Sky, Mike Hawkins, um, and that and that list can go on. Larry McKay reached out just the other week, um, and I really value that. Uh, so I, I think that I'm I'm really excited to then come together this summer with with Mike, who I have pretty much an ongoing dialogue and relationship all year. Dave Preston, I've only known as like coach across the country and growing up as a player, this volleyball icon, um, being a guy that I actually remember thinking, you know, I would, you know, I, I always wanted to play for Keith Hansen and Terry Daniluk, but I remember thinking like, man, Dave Preston, I'm, I, I wonder what it'd be like to play for him. Like I remember thinking that when I was a player. And so I'm really looking forward to coaching with him this summer because I just think there's so much I could learn from him. Nate Gronveld and I crisscrossed a little when he was just coming up, he, uh, was dabbling in the national team and Nate and I got along really well. Um, that, that like year that I went back to FTC after my mom had breast cancer. Um, he was at the FTC. I think that was the year we kind of shared there and him and I got along really well and have had, you know, a lot of mutual respect through the years. And then Jared Brown is like beauty the the Manitoba legend, like Jared was involved with the Bisons back when I was playing for U of A. And like, I was really, really good friends with Tone Van Lankfeld, if you remember him. Oh yeah. So I, I know JB from then. And then Matt Kruger, I've come to really know and like, and uh, Matt and I get, get along really well uh, just through the Canada West circle. He actually did a guest lecture for the course I teach uh, this, this winter. So I think they're my, I really value those relationships. It might not look like it when I'm on the sideline, because I also really value trying to beat all those guys as best I can. And, um, but, uh, that is something that I enjoy about the job actually. And I hope that, you know, get an opportunity to maybe to get closer and learn a lot from 
Bob Icon, Dave Preston is something that I'm really looking forward to this summer along with the rest of the staff because it's just going to be such a fun environment after we've had such a, you know, a drought of a drought training. Of, of, of everything, yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look for me, looking at this coaching staff, like the young men who are going to be a part of this youth national team are incredibly lucky because you have such a – a, a breadth of knowledge, you know, from Dave Preston, who was with the national team back in the 90s and has, yeah. you know, guys like Stephen Marr, Danny Damianenko, Jordan Prera, who are all athletes of Israel on the VNL. And then, you know, you've got guys like Jared Brown, who I think is, you know, one of the guys like Jared Brown and Matt Kruger are the types of guys that keep volleyball moving forward in this country below the surface level and no one ever knows like jared's been doing such a great job with the 204 volleyball club for so many years i have a massive amount of respect for matt Kruger and the things that he's done uh over the years especially with ubc and in the program this past year so i i think that you know the the collection of of you guys take working together to better better these young men is only going to benefit um team canada volleyball in the future now obviously it's a little bit different this year because you know there was no tryouts there's no process but is there any like I'm, i've got the, the 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 list in front of me first and foremost what stands out to me is how many volleyball names you know you talked about uh like the the dodds is and leo caro and emily cordonier and you know they're having kids but their kids are a little bit younger but you've got Two Greaves kids with Logan and Mason. You've got a Reeve Gingera uh, out there. Like you've got some, you've got some old school Canadian volleyball names that are coming back in, into the fold. So, what are it, who are some of the kids to maybe look out for? Like maybe people should have on their radar. Maybe they're going to be seeing you know on a U Sport court near them sometime soon, or maybe on a national team jersey in a few years down the road. I don't think I can answer that question. Uh, um, and, and I I understand, but I mean, I had to ask. I think uh, part of that also, Everett, is we like. I think I think the selections were were quite good. Um, like I said, the way Mike organized us and structured it and position specific to us, um, I think they're. I think it's a good representation. Um, I think that about the junior team too. Um, I think as, as you make selections, especially as you move up in national team programs, they get critiqued and, and that's part of the game. Um, and I, I think that w one of the critique points of, of the current selections is that all the selections happen by video. So I'm really kind of curious, uh, well, not only by video, I think we all try to do our character references and research and stuff like that, and weigh all that against and leverage it against the video. Um, I, there's a couple athletes where I'm like, man, this guy looks amazing on video. And I'm like, I wonder what he's going to be like live. And, uh, I, that's part of, I mean, you, we have, um, four university head coaches on staff. Um, so we've spent a year of only watching video, not having the, you know, the live feel of the game the the vision of the player hearing the player you know just sensing everything that's going on at a nationals tournament so you don't get that feel but at the same time you can hit rewind so it's like oh did that setter actually square there oh he didn't doesn't matter that he didn't square what does he do on other sets what does he do on his middle 31 sets rewind and you can take a look at that where you can't do that um that's, that's a good point in a in a nationals tournament unless you're one of those savvy coaches or i won't say his name but guy carries a gopro around to record the ones he's really interested in um 
I'm, I'm going to keep next time I'm at I'm at nationals or something. I'm going to keep an eye out for different coaches with it with the GoPro. I mean, it makes sense. It does. I think. I mean, I was like, huh, maybe I should video some of these guys. But um, yeah, so that it, it was interesting, and I'm curious to see to kind of check it when we get there. Were we right with this guy that we knew very little about? Did we, were we wrong? Like, is this guy um, maybe a little off the mark or is this guy that we thought was a wild card, like way better? Uh, also we had, which is not, not um, surprising, but everyone's self-reporting phys physical stats. So um, some, there, there's physical stats that'll be accurate. There's some that might be off. Not everyone has a Vertec that they can tell their spike touch. But like the the um what's the word? Just that it's so common to collect physical stats now and so many athletes have a breadth of physical stats that they're able to present those to us now. And they were a really important thing over this year because we only had video, we couldn't see them live. And so physical stats were something we had to really factor in based on the position profile, the player profile. Um, but then we have to trust the testing of it. Uh, unless they sent us video of their test, which some athletes did. Um, so that will be interesting to see how they stack up physically to their numbers. Did they, uh, you know, overshoot? Did they say they touched higher than they did? Did they say they touched lower? I find it interesting when guys say they touched lower. Um, that was a big, when I was in the scouting process of Billy Johnstone, he said he touched a lot lower than he actually did. Really? And no excuse. And he stood by it. And when we were recruiting him, we had to feel out who is this guy? Like, what's his character? Like, what's his personality? Like, and that's a story for me where it was like, wow, he had this lower spike touch and he didn't blink at it for a second. He just said, that's my spike touch. And then when I found out that he was actually doing it on a wall, not a vertex, um, he was still touching like 11, six or 11, seven on a wall. But then when he did it on an actual vertex, he's like, Hey, I did it on a vertex. I'm at 11, 10. I was like, wow, that's, nice and high. And plus I love how you didn't try to, cause at the time he was a big recruit being marketed around and people were blowing up his spike touch number and everything. And when I asked it, when I asked him, he gave me a lower number and that was, and him making no excuse for that difference, just saying, Hey, no, this is what it is. Spoke volumes in terms of his character, especially the way he del delivered it. And then in the end, he ended up touching his size. Everyone was saying, so it was, uh, it was, that was an interesting piece and something that you, have to factor in and sometimes if an if a athlete misrepresents himself it's just an error like it's set up the vertex wrong or didn't have half inches on the vertex or whatever it is you know yeah i i definitely understand that i remember one one year there was this kid who was posting stuff on instagram and being like he just set a new world record he's touched 12 10 and it was just because he was like reading the vertex wrong, you know. He was like trying to get me post it on Instagram, and I was like, "There's no way this kid from like an NCAA D three school is out here touching like twelve ten. And he wasn't like anything super tall, but I, I definitely see why some of the kids might uh, might want to, you know, boost boost their stats a little bit. Well, you definitely shouldn't, because if we find out that you did intentionally, then it's you know definite negative points. Is, is it? If is we it? Find out you're under, then it's you know, worst case scenario, neutral points, usually, usually extra points. Yeah. You know, you're the type of kid to be like, you know what? I touch, I 12, I, I touch 12 feet, but I'm just going to bring it down a little bit. I'm going to say 11, nine, just so, just, just so I, I, I seem a little bit, a little bit bigger and better. Now from this roster of U19 guys, is there any uh, guys who are going to be coming to play for the, you for the golden bears this year or, or in the future, any confirmed recruits? 
Uh, Julian Phillips from New Brunswick is our confirmed recruit on the youth team. A new, new Brunswick guy. You guys usually don't go to New Brunswick. Never have before. Well, uh, this is number one. I'm athlete. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What What about him? Like stuck out for you guys that you wanted to grab him for the Golden Bears? Uh, two things: uh, his physicality, and he really wanted to play for us, and I like that. That's those are two really great things. Um, he was very passionate about coming to U of A, and uh, that's. I mean, in the recruiting battle, there's guys that you got to sell and talk to and even convince. Um, but if a guy wants a spot on our team, he's got to really want to come. Now, there's sometimes guys that aren't certain, right? And that's normal. That's part of the recruiting process. But Julian was hell-bent on coming here. Um, and that uh, kept him <laughs> in the conversation until we could really tell that he was as physical as he is because he had very little video. Um, and this was, this was, I've never met Julian in person um, because of the pandemic, uh, but he's, uh, he's very uh, whippy and explosive, jumps really fast, swings really fast. And I think he's got a bright future because he's also like, he's, he's got a lot of um, frame to build into. Fair like enough. he's, yeah, I think once we get him in our strength and conditioning program, um, that he's going to really up all of his physicality because he just hasn't gone through that stage yet. He's also an athlete that uh, he's one of our only guys that's been playing all year because New Brunswick has been fortunate with COVID. Now he's not playing at the level that we have here. Or, well, I shouldn't say that, but Braden Friesen is, is, was playing all year with NEP. But uh, yeah, Julian has been lucky enough to play all year. In New Brunswick and being a, a long, tall, raw guy, that's what we need out of him. So I think he's got a really exciting future. Is that so. something that you can take, like you can look at someone's physicality and be like, hey, he has all this upside physically and we can teach him and we can kind of fill in the gaps of his game around that? It depends on their character. Um, you know, it also depends on their where they are in their maturity cycle um, and their position. Um, for us... Uh, you know, we've had a couple of recruits that have this type of scenario, but um, one that sticks out in my mind is Isaac Hesselinga, who just made the junior national team. You know, Isaac? Yep. No, I know of him. I've never met him or seen him play. When he came on his recruit trip, we already very highly valued him, but when he came on his recruit trip, recruit trip and working with him on court, you're like, wow, this kid learns fast and made changes really fast. Um, and that even upped it even more. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, he had an incredible first year because he, he just learns and improves so much. The, the capacity to change is the biggest driving factor in order to make, you know, changes. So um, that's really important to, to try to get a feel for from an athlete. And this is the hardest year to do that because you can't see them in person. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't imagine how difficult that is. You're almost like recruiting and picking a team blindly and just being like, ah, hopefully this guy works out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think at our level on our, like what our, our days look like is that you're, you should be appropriating time to that, to figure that out. But at the same time, you know, there's probably a, a number of recruiting scenarios where coaches are taking flyers on guys and that might be a appropriate thing to do, or it might be like, we need this. We got to take this risk. 
Um, and that's the game of recruiting. Like, I think if you're not ready to dabble in the dynamism of recruiting, then you might not be ready to build a, a top level team. But I, I will say that that's only my knowledge from doing this for only a few years. There's a lot more seasoned vets out there that have been doing it for a lot longer. Fair enough. Speaking of seasoned vets, you we talked a little bit about, about better earlier, but you had the privilege of learning under Terry Daniluk, who is arguably one of the greatest CIS slash U sport coaches we've seen in men's volleyball ever here here in Canada. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit at the beginning that he's still around and in the gym. How valuable was your time kind of learning from Terry? Because it seemed like it was it. It, it was quite a process of you taking the team over. Like first you were an assistant coach and then, you know, you were the associate coach where you'd be standing up during the games and, and he was sitting down and then you, you kind of took it over. But what was it like learning um, from, you know, a legend like Terry and how much is he still involved with the team now? So you can get your master's done in a year. That would be really difficult. Um, and you'd have to devote a lot of time to the, academic side of it uh, you can do it in two years which is like more of a normal pace uh, my supervisor was ian reed who we talked about earlier um, and he told me to do it in three because we were working on the succession plan he's like you're gonna learn the most and you should be trying to learn the most from your time with the bears so i don't want you to like be missing practices or be missing games or be missing quality of those things so you, i recommend spreading your degree out to three years and that sounded good to me because I'd been out of school for six playing volleyball and music. So I didn't know how to do stats anymore or, or study. I had to relearn that all again. Um, so that set the stage for me to really spend time learning from Terry, um, making notes, uh, making spreadsheets to kind of, um, follow his process. Uh, especially cause Terry, it's all up here and in here. Like I like putting stuff down and writing stuff down. So a lot of what he does is just like his, his experience in his notebooks and everything. And I'm, I was trying to write that stuff down and get as much of it. So I could refer back to it. And when I first started planning the seasons and planning practices, I had all that stuff to refer back to, which was incredibly useful. Um, the, the time span, like the succession plan, um, I think is a really good way to structure um, a transition, especially of a big program, um, because this is a big program at a big school. And so I had to learn how to do all those things. And I, if I had to be plopped in this program without any mentor like that, I, I, I think I would struggle quite a bit. And then, you know, the result would be the team would struggle too. Um, and you can have a, a year where you struggle anyways, but to be set in a position where you kind of don't have, where your learning curve is, is massive without any resources is not, I, I think a good idea for, for, for a coach. So I think a lot of when a new coach is hired, people are trying to build um, kind of, you know, give the coach some sort of training wheels and then take them off. And I was really lucky with my scenario that way. And I still am because I still will ask questions um, of Terry uh, and they, they've shifted in what I'm asking. Um, 
you know, at first it was a lot about just trying to learn how to run practices for this team, run the, run the season. And now it's a lot more about logistics, admin, um, you know, student decisions, uh, fundraising initiatives and trying to pick his brain on those kind of things, because we know that he's just this incredible coaching icon and we still have him in the gym doing those things. Cause he's still so vibrant with all that. But, uh, what some people might not know is he's just a guru in terms of networking and fundraising. Um, and that allows us to create financial scenarios for our team that, um, maybe some other teams can't. Uh, maybe some other teams can, I don't know, I don't know the books of other teams, but, uh, having Terry do what he does, like I'd mentioned fundraising before, like Terry right now, like before I came into this interview was doing fundraising. Like he does, uh, I don't know. Do you follow him on like his thrift stuff oh, that he saw? Of, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he's been making money these last few months for our program through that. And he really enjoys it. And like a time he's, he's making money when people aren't making money. And so that really, that really helps us and having him do that is incredibly useful. Um, I mean, it's especially right now is pays, I think it'll pay off in spades, but at the end of the day, like the, the biggest, I think, you know, not the, one, the incredibly value thing that valuable thing that he adds is his wisdom and knowledge. Cause Terry isn't like, it's not an old dog, new trick scenario with Terry. Like Terry has always been able to adapt and as we're in modern volleyball and you know how things have changed so much in the last five years, Terry has kept an open mind to all those changes. And when I came back and I was like, Terry, I think this is what we should be doing. He was really receptive to my ideas and him and I work really well together when it comes to operations of the team and coaching techniques, strategies, theories. Um, and even though he's older, I think he's really kept himself current with those kind of things. And I think the players really respect that from him because he can hold that up next to his experience. And I hope to keep him around as long as possible because I think he's an absolute asset for a program. And I want to create a scenario for him like that, um, where he feels that he's still enjoying it and it's still good for his family as he moves towards his retirement. But you see him in the gym, it doesn't look like he wants to retire. Yeah, he's no. quite vibrant. He's working with the setters, like getting I got to work with Terry as a setter and you know, guys like like Max and Cam, um, Sean Robertson, who's our player manager setter, like they get to learn from Terry, which I really want for them because I'll work with those guys a lot, but then they get their time with Terry and our volleyball junkies, like the the setters that come and want sessions with him and then with me, they get to learn from the old and the new and a combination of the two. And I think, um, that he can do that in every position. So it's, it's really valuable to our players. It's really interesting that you say that, you know, even though he's an older guy, he's kept up with the times because I really found that's why, you know, Alberta was so dominant throughout the 2000s and, and into the 2010s with your, with your, uh, uh, few national championships in there, in there too, but his ability to continue learning and continue evolving the game to me was something that that was pretty incredible just watching how the team the look of golden bears volleyball changed based on the athletes that they had that they that you guys had around to me was was always incredible um was that always the plan for you to kind of take over the team or is that something that just kind of happened naturally over the course of of your masters and, and working together yeah it was the plan like he approached he approached me with it back in 2012 or 13. Wow. But he didn't say, here you go. He's like, these are the things you need to do. And I think you should do to be ready for it, to be able to apply for it. 
And in short, they were get your masters and coach as much as possible. So like, that's when I started coaching provincial teams, junior national teams, getting involved with youth teams, select team, all that kind of stuff. Um, and just coach, 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 coached for all, all summers until, uh, until my wife got pregnant. Then I started taking summers off. Um, so once the few years ago, it was became time to make the shift. And so we sat down and kind of hashed that out, how it would happen and the year it would happen. And then we made the switch and, um, yeah. Do you, here, here I am now. do you think he saw you as being a head coach and, and, and coaching before you saw yourself as a head coach and, and coaching? Yeah. Cause he said it to me. I remember he said it to me one time when I was playing. Um, that he could see me coaching and I was like, Oh, that's funny. Cause I don't see myself coaching. Cause I didn't have that plan. I was, a, I was a very different person when I was 21, 22 than I am now, which I'm proud of. Like, I think that should be the case. Um, but I, I didn't have that kind of ambition back then. Wow. So he, I had ambitions. I just didn't have that ambition. No, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to be on a national team for any sport and playing professionally in any sport, if you don't have ambitions, right, you'll be <laughs> yeah. in someone's basement playing video games. So, uh, you know, uh, obviously you had ambition, but it, it's, it's crazy to me how much vision he had. Cause I think there, you know, especially during the, the, I wouldn't say the prime because you guys are still one of the, the biggest threats in the country and a top three program in the, in the country, uh, at any given year. But in that spree, when, you know, it was almost a guarantee that golden bears volleyball was going to be winning nationals. It seemed like he was just so far ahead of the curve coaching wise than compared to what everyone else was doing in this, in this country. Well, I wouldn't be able to comment on that. Like, I think there, I can see your, the perception of that. Um, I think, uh, you know, Terry got the train rolling with, with the program and that really attracted, uh, big time recruits. I think there's, I think I still think, you know, as I get older, I get more recognition and gratitude of timing and luck. And I think that, um, Terry, uh, would probably argue the same, you know, there's luck and timing involved, but being on those teams, like the three years I was here watching him coach and, and recruit and create scenarios and opportunities for us. I could see why, how he was able to keep that going. And then, you know, you look, he's there. I think there's at, at the same time, they're incredible coaches doing similar things, doing the same things, you know, like uh, Larry McKay at the time, I, I remember when I was playing thinking like, wow, like Larry is such a mastermind and so advanced in how he's doing things. Obviously Ben Josephson has created this incredible era with, with Trina Western where, um, He's they're a very dominant force too that we're all trying to 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 topple over and sometimes we do it sometimes we don't um, and I think that uh, there's been ebbs and flows of that where yeah we've had our dominant years Trinity's been really dominant UBC has been really strong and that team that won was so incredible um, Brandon I mean you mentioned that team like Brandon not going to nationals well they didn't go to nationals they had bad luck they were incredibly strong that year and like Baghdadi, Friesen, um, and Viles. I can't remember yep. all three got concussions, but two of them got concussions at bad times. And that's just bad luck. Um, now, uh, other teams have had bad luck. You know, like we lost Taylor Arnett in a semifinal playing Trinity and for our, our chance to three Pete and Taylor 
one of the best middles in the country goes down and would that have made a difference? I don't know, but bad luck and good luck are both, are both, are both factors. And like Brandon that year, man, they were so lethal and I feel bad for, I remember thinking like, wow, look at Grant and like how composed he is through all this. And I mean, I'm just watching from the outside, but like I, I, that must've been just really frustrating because like that team was just so deadly. Um, and going back to like Dave Preston and all the incredible, like the, the Eastern dynasty he's made. And now Gabe is creating this, this thread at Queens and, and other teams like Johnny B's team, when we were lined up against them, they were looking really strong and there's so many things that need to line up. And, but going back to Terry, like he made a lineup for what was it 10 years in a row that our teams were in the national final. And I don't think that was just luck. I think that was Terry being his work ethic, his care and his ingenuity that, that put the program in that, in that position. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was, all, I've always been astonished how gracious he he's been even with me when i'm calling um the golden pandas uh you know what that that's that's one of those that'll just kind of go down and that was like i still remember I should, I should show you that i have this in my office oh, there, there we go the the pandas <laughs> the pandas blanket there uh and I, I still remember that one because i was so i was so hyped up to interview terry there and it was just like oh like i, I get to interview terry Danilock. And it just, yeah, and that one is kind of one of them that that's gonna haunt me forever. But actually, going back to that one where Taylor, I Arnett, just, we keep bringing it up. You can let it go. We just keep bringing it up. <laughs> uh, I mean, hey, you know what? You guys can bring it up. I, I, I don't mind. You, it, 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 it's fine. Um, uh, I, our I, worst brands to be associated with. I, uh, I'm a big Pandas fan. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And that was also the day that I found out that uh, only the Bears are golden. The Pandas aren't golden. It's just. Uh, they're, they're oh, just yeah. they're yeah. just they're just the straight they're just the straight pandas but uh going back to that national final where taylor arnett got or not is a semi-final where taylor arnett got injured uh yeah i i absolutely do think that if he doesn't get injured there that it's a different story altogether for for your team um but you know yeah like it could have still been the same result um that trinity team uh was incredibly strong but i mean it did it that was a pretty big presence for us um Taylor, I mean, he was more physical uh, than Aaron Chambers coming in, and Taylor's just that arm was insane. Um, but I remember looking down the bench, and and uh, I don't know how well you know Aaron Chambers, but Aaron is Mr. Preparation, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you know he wasn't Taylor Arnett at that time, but he was as max as Aaron could possibly be. So when we called upon him, he was ready because he had just been kind of born for that kind of moment, like where he was always ready. So I thought he came in and, and really did a good job for us, even though we lost such a big presence. Oh, I, I 100% agree. I, I definitely think that. And I remember I was doing the broadcast with Jared Brown and we talked about how well Aaron Chambers played. However, he wasn't Taylor Arnett. And it wasn't yeah. the fact that physically he wasn't Taylor Arnett is that Arnett and Brett Walsh had been playing together for so long and had known each other so well that Walsh could just find Arnett in any type of situation. You know, if the pass was off the net, like if it wasn't a perfect pass or you guys were running out of system, Walsh could still find Ironet, and it's really what helped. Because especially with that that um, Golden Bears team, you had Riley Barnes, um, Kevin Proudfoot was it was another guy who was another. Not guy. on that that year, Kevin. No, you're right. Kevin took that year off. 
off. So we had Nick Afor on the right, and then Riley and Alex McMullen on the left. Okay, yeah, still. So you had Nick Afor, who had j- just just finished yeah. leading the junior national team, and, yeah. and Nick Afor and McMullen. But none of them was like the, your go-to guy. They were all very solid, and they were all very, very good options. But Arnett really opened up that, that offense. But what I'm still upset about to this day is that we've never had the McMaster versus Alberta showdown that I wanted. And that, oh, yeah. that, you know what, like that, that was another one. Like McMaster fell in the semifinals in Calgary back in 2014, the same year that I called you guys, the, 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 the yeah. Golden pandas. And that was another one that I wanted is I wanted McMaster versus, versus Alberta. Like I, I wanted to see that go down because you guys played similar types, types of ball. And I, I thought it would have been a great final and it, I, I've still been robbed of seeing that. Yeah, but then we got the May versus May show, which was we did. I do. Yeah, we I did mean, get the May versus May two show. Two pretty brothers going at each other. That was pretty fun. Reed Reed came out on top on 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 that one. Yeah, that that was a fun. Is is do you look back and like do you have a favorite like national championship or anything like that, or do they all kind of just blend into one? Because like there's been like so, like literally like when's the last time that Alberta didn't go to to nationals? Like I can't remember it. Uh, well, I, I, I don't think I have a favorite. Um, I think that they're all so different. Um, I, I, I wish we, you know, the, the 1819 one where we went on the VRS, that one was kind of bittersweet. Like I don't, yeah, we got there, but it was weird. Not the way you wanted to. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I'm looking at a picture right now. I'm not going to show it to you because it's really private to the inner circle of our team, but, um, it's, uh, the 1920, but like before the pandemic got canceled or before nationals got canceled because of the pandemic. Um, and the, the night before we just had one of the most incredible practices we had all year and we didn't have a very good conference final against Trinity. And, but that practice is like, man, we're ready. We're ready to like give to play U of T. And if we get through them, whoever we play next, like this team is ready. And it was just electric. One of those practices where it's like, man, I'm glad this is happening at this point in the season. Three hours later, nationals was canceled. And um, yeah, it was that, I think like, and then, you know, years, years before that, we have this phenomenal, these two back-to-back phenomenal national finals where Kevin Proudfoot just becomes this insane right side. Um, I, I think there's so many moments that I could call favorite moments. Um, I mean, Kevin had an incredible national finals was like Brett Walsh that created them for him, I think. And then guys like Taylor Arnett and Johnny Gorenson. Um, but I don't think I, I'm just rambling now cause I, I'm just reliving all of them in my head. Yeah. I, I don't think I could pick one. I have a va- I have a vivid memory of watching Brett Walsh chasing down a ball, like at the sideline in four and or like four or five at the tee and back bump setting a c-ball to kevin Cr- proudfoot and just no one was expecting him to do that and proudfoot just crushing it down the down the line um yeah that 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 was uh those are some pretty special rosters that you were a part of yeah brett did a really good job with those teams because uh those teams the the offense was really based on balance and some pipe stuff that we were trying to offset in terms of our court width. And you, you look on paper, 
it's kind of like Kevin would be the maybe the last guy that's getting volume or, or that you'd expect to be the killer. And Brett used that. Like he created rhythm for Kevin and created, you know, this guy that maybe teams were hoping that they wouldn't have to worry about. And then lo and behold, he's just dumb, just, you know, had, had really good finals in the, the, the year we won the, in Calgary, the Canada West final, or maybe this is semi, no, I can't remember which one it was, but I think it was the Canada West final. Kevin got a bloody nose um, from Brad Gunter. Oh yeah. Gunter. Yeah. At TRU. Yeah. And he had to get, he had to be removed from the game and we were like down in that match. And uh, then he got subbed back in, blocked Gunter uh, while he was in row two and then went back and got like two aces. And then we just won out the whole year from that moment in the, in Canada West. Cause we went three Oh, three Oh, three Oh, or three Oh, three one, three Oh in the uh, 2014 run. And it was almost like when Kevin got that bloody nose and came back out, he just made a statement and said, okay, let's do this now. Before that, it was kind of like a, a back and forth. And that moment, that season, I, I remember being one of my favorite moments. My other one was we were actually at a rotation in a really key moment during the semifinal, the national semifinal, because going back to Taylor Arnett, we would sub him in for Jay Olmstead to block. Mm -hmm. And he didn't switch in his front row order. So he was way out of rotation. But when you, when you look at how referees work, the R1 is looking at the server, you know, toes and stuff like that. The R2 is looking at the receive team for rotation. No one's looking at the three blockers. Yeah. So you can see how he, he missed it. Taylor ended up blocking uh, the Laval right side for a pretty critical point. And wow. That's, uh, it's, it's crazy how you can bring like those, those memories kind of pop back into your head. Now, right now, Brett Walsh is setting with the men's national team. How much have you seen him improve? Like I, I've found that like from the last time I saw him with the national team to what he's been doing kind of recently at VNL, like he might be the guy heading into heading into Tokyo. Um, yeah, he's improved a lot. I mean, it's almost like he's become the version internationally that he was nationally. Now I think he's still knowing Brett and he's got such a strong growth mindset that I think he's going to keep doing that. And he, uh, has changed his contact a little. And I think in order to be at the, as high as he can, yeah, internet of international level. And so like, it's, it's interesting to see those kind of technical changes. And like, when I follow up with Brett and ask him about this or that, like the kind of things he's working on are, are really cool. Um, what I think of is like when I watched him in VNL, so like the last VNL, which would have been 2019, 2019. Um, I thought he worked his way into a really good rhythm, but at the start, like you could tell he was inexperienced and wasn't doing his normal thing because he was doing like, when Brett came to us, it was a lot about, we had a 50, 50 and 80, 20, we called it. And like, when he came to us, he set 50, 50, which meant he was making bold decisions 50% of the time and making tactical decisions 50% of the time. Mm -hmm. And those bold decisions weren't necessarily tactical decisions. He was just making flashy young sets. And we needed to change that into 80% tactically strong decisions. And then 20% like these athletic, bold, long back sets or crazy forces. Um, and that, that's usually what you want out of a young setter, someone who's trying to be really bold. And then you kind of groom them into understanding decision-making. And that was the process with Brett. And by the end, he, he was doing so well that he was doing stuff that 
you know, he was come up, coming up with on his own. It was really tactically driven. Um, when he started VNL, it was kind of like the opposite. Like he was super conservative, like when in 2019, it was like, this is a, an opposite side of, of Brett, but I think it's because of the, you know, maybe the moment was really big or he was nervous. And then as he played more games, he's flipping that one off his shoulder or he's dropping and reversing and creating like different looks, different angles. And it's like, well, that's the Brett that we know that can be, you know, make some bold sets or make some Czechos type reverses and stuff like that. And uh, I think it's been cool to watch him find that 80-20 level at the at the international level. Because I, I think he came into VNL like that this year where 2019 he was just kind of fresh on the scene. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's been uh, – he's been doing some incredible things so far, but also like leading the team and, you know, leading the hitters. And, I mean, Shawan Vernon Evans scored more points in the last game uh, against Brazil than he did all season in Perugia. I mean, there's a lot of different reason, reasons there, you know. That was um, a weird year for Perugia. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what kind of happens when you have Tragica um, setting. Actually, wasn't it you that posted? I've never, that's, I've never, <laughs> that's mean. I mean, so I, I, I don't know, but for Volleyball Source, we have a Discord account. I don't know if you know what Discord is, but it's basically like a, a chat forum. So we have a, I have a, a chat form for 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 volleyball source. Actually, if you if you want, I can send you the link and you and and you can join it, because um, it's it's just open. But uh, there was a lot of tragica hate this year on our on our on our Discord account. And I mean, we've got guys who are in Italy who are like long term fans of you know Lube or or Modena or, or stuff like that. So they love to hate on anything Perugia, anyways. And they just hated on, you know, uh, Dragon Tra- Trevitsa all year long. But was it you who posted? Was it a picture from Fishu Games where I, I distinctly remember? I'm pretty sure it's you and Dodds who are at the net having maybe a bit of a of a rough up with the Italian team. Yeah, uh, I mean, before we get into that, I think, I mean, you know, I don't think you should be, really be hating on someone you don't really know. Oh. I get the like fun part of it, but like Riley played with. Travica and he said he's a pretty good guy and I mean I, I will just let have you know that this isn't necessarily me um you know we've got a, a good group of, of of people and it's you know it's it's it group it's it's group things sometimes but uh hey you know you do you do what you got to do sometimes yeah um the Fisha games thing was uh that was an interesting moment because um we were we had a horrible prep run in the Fichu games. This was 2007, and uh, like a just a, we played in this really not a very high quality tournament right before, and we did really poorly in it. And then we went to Fichu, and we ended up hitting our stride and coming second in the whole thing, which Dang. was uh, really good for us. Um, we hit playoffs, and we played Germany in this epic five set match where uh, that that whole tournament. Um, we had a starting right side by the name of Chris Brand okay. and a backup right side by the name of Gavin Schmidt. And so <laughs> Gavin came in almost every match. Um, and that was like obviously hard on, on Chris Brand because he was, Chris Brand was pretty good at the time and playing in some high level teams. Uh, I played, Chris and I played together in Germany and he played for Roselar and some other good teams. Um, but Gavin would come in and just really t- take over. Uh, not to the point, not to the level where we know him from the A team, but from a level where it's like, wow, this guy's going to be really good. And especially serving. 
Um, and so he did that against Germany. And then same thing against Italy. He came in, but uh, on that team, like Mark Dodds uh, was, was like our big attacker and we were playing Italy. We lost the first set and um, we were kind of, you know, battling for ground in the second set and Dodds hit this pipe and just kind of, as he does uh, like cheer towards the other side and the Italians didn't like that. Um, and that caused this whole like scene at the net and that Fichu team and the Fichu team prior, which had a lot of the same guys had a bit of a fighter mentality reputation. And so that just really worked for us because that Italian team at the time didn't really like our, um, personality. So I was just talking with one of my assistant coaches about this, how I think that like volleyball wise, I'm not a big fan of the, the, the standard on court presence. Like I think that volleyball players tend to whine a lot. And I'm not, I, I, I like our hockey mentality in Canada where it's a little more like, Hey, we can get gritty. We can get in each other's faces. Um, I, I also think that the structure of rules in volleyball doesn't really allow us to do the hockey thing. Um, but anyways, I think that team had that mentality. And that worked for us because the, the Italian team was rattled where we were like, okay, let's pounce. And that's kind of what happened. Um, and there was, yeah, some stuff with uh, Travica at the net, but like, but it wasn't just him. It was the rest of the Italian guys. It wasn't just Dodds. It was all of us. And, um, but Travica was like their best player. So he was phenomenal at that age. Like I remember seeing him, I was like, damn, why don't I sound like this? Because <laughs> he was world class at that time. And um but uh, yeah, that was the fun match. And we were lucky because as we, we started to move through the tournament, we got attention. So we got a lot of photography in that tournament. And like that match alone, there's like 40 photos of it. And uh, so we got a lot of documentation and like great shots. Ryan Marsden just sent me a couple pics from that, from that tournament the other day. Um, and yeah, that, there was one of the, of that stuff when it went down, but that was fun. And that's the kind of thing that I was saying before. Like, I like that. Like when that happened, I like that, but then off the court, like, you know, we didn't get to do it with the Italian team, but you know, off the court, I would, would love to have a beer with the guys after, you know, and maybe travel kind of, and I could, could chat after and, you know, shake hands. yeah, absolutely. I, I do remember kind of, I, it was leading up to 2016. I was talking to Adam Simak, and he talked about the team having a switch where they just took on this like fourth line grinders mentality. And this is talking about the national team. And and I think that that's perfectly apt for describing Canadian volleyball because at the end of the day, you know, as as much as as much as like there's guys like Gavin and as much we've got way more skill guys on the team than maybe we had in the past. I think that at the end of the day, we're not gonna maybe have the skill guys that Brazil or Italy, or, you know, these other countries that might have. And that I think that adopting that mentality of these fourth-line grinders, you know, more of a hockey mentality, which is, of course, well-known to us us Canadians, is something that, you know, benefits Canadian volleyball very, very well. And I, I like seeing us play with a bit of that edge and a bit of a, almost of a chip on our shoulder to be able to go and, and have to prove ourselves every single time. Yeah, I, I like, I agree. Like, um, that, that team, I think of the the personalities that were on that team that maybe weren't the guys that whose names still echo like a Gavin Schmidt, but like a, that team, like an Adam Simak, a Tony Van Lankfeld, um, Dustin Schneider, um, Epic Ryan. Dan, Dan, uh, those guys were, were grinders that, and they were fighters and, and guys that liked to battle or, you know, a Nicholas Cundy, like he had stuff 
when Nicholas Cundy played, uh, there's his pet peeve was getting along with the other side. Like you see stuff happening in a match now and guys are giving each other five, one team to the other team. Sure. Great sportsmanship. Sure. But he didn't care about that. He wanted to no, I'm, I'm beating you right now and I'm going to do everything in my power to do that, including my demeanor. And um, you can make an argument for what you said, like, yeah, maybe there's other teams that have a certain skill set. I mean, Canada is becoming quite skilled, but is that, is that a niche to have more of a fighter mentality? I don't know if it is. That's a very inner circle cultural thing, but being around with the team and like all those guys I mentioned just now I played with and knowing those guys like the tone, Dustin, Gav, uh, Shimats, uh, Kaminsky, all those guys, um, knowing those guys like that, that fit for that culture. Um, and I think that can be an advantage. hundred percent. And I mean, I think that, as I said before, I really think that you guys established that culture and that identity almost of Canadian volleyball. And I think it's permeated all, th- all throughout now. You know, I think that that's the way we see our guys play the game and approach the game. And that's something that I'm very thankful for. And uh, I-, I love watching. Yeah, there are some key players like those guys I mentioned that, you know, were, were around for a long time. And then, but some of them, you know, the, the older generation influenced them. Like if you go back even, like I know that there is this clear cut transition in, in coaching staff between Stelio and, and Glenn and, and Glenn's done a fantastic job and got the team to the Olympics and everything. Um, but there was player transfer that uh, with them comes culture. So you, we go even further back to the conversation, like Murray Grappentine, mm-hmm. you talk about all the guys who just did, he was, you know, head honcho of that. Um, and pushing guys and being hard on guys and cutthroat and like trash talking. And, uh, and there was a lot of guys like that. Now I wasn't around those guys as much, but Murray was a guy that stood out to me. So those guys, when they moved on and then the, the younger guys uh, like myself at the time that was young or like Dustin, who was young or Shemats who was young, um, Fred, who was young, like everyone kind of sees that. And that's what, that's what Murray's doing. That's what Paul Dern's doing. Um, that's what Pascal Cardinal's doing. Like, I think that kind of, that that has been a big part of the Canadian volleyball core, like carrying over the generations, or at least it was from from when I played. Like I said, where they're at now, I can't speak to the inner circle because I've been gone for so long. Uh, I I I mean, I can't really speak to it either, but I definitely I see that permeating through the way that they play, and uh, I I love it. You know, I love that Canadian volleyball has an identity, and uh, I love that it's a bit more. Maybe a bit, a little bit more rougher around the edges than some people view volleyball, and maybe that that's why you know we've seen such a growth in the sport in in the past decade. Yeah. Well, Brock, I to be honest, we went a, quite a bit longer than I thought we would. Uh, you got me kind of pining for for the old days with with some great stories. I'm gonna have to have you on the show again because I feel like I've only just touched in, you know, just dipped a toe into the water, uh, for, for some of your stories, but, uh, really appreciate you coming and taking the time to, to chat with me today. I know that you've always got things on the go and you're always getting ready for the next season and, and working with the junior or youth national team and all of that. So can't thank you enough for, for coming and chat with me today. Anytime, man. It's a, it's a pleasure. I had a lot of fun chatting volleyball with you. I know we could probably do this for hours. So, Definitely. um, yeah, I'd love to come back whenever you want me. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe sometime in September once we're getting ready for the U Sports season and we know a little bit more about about, about what's been going on, and you you can uh, fill us in on some of your creative ways of, of how you're going to be keeping uh, the Golden Bears on top. Do you, uh, you guys are going to be? I, I mean, I I think that you guys are going to be gunning for another 
you know, uh, getting back on that national championship podium. Is is that fair to fair to uh, assume? Um, I think that we set the goal and expectation that that is the the pace every year. Um, and if Terry and I see that that isn't the pace, then recruiting strategies would change. But I think that that is the desire of the group um, and the expectation. Um, whether that comes to fruition is how well our guys invest in the off season and and how they come into the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like it's like Duke basketball in the NCAA. You don't go to Alberta volleyball if you're you just want to be mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I hope. Yeah. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time and uh best of luck with the the youth national team this summer. Hopefully you can instill some of that grinder mentality on those uh, young kids and uh we'll talk